0: Hello and welcome to Ian's Research Club, a new AM podcast. I'm your host, Ian T. In each episode, I speak with guests from the visual arts community, as well as creative individuals from adjacent industries. Hosting this podcast is an extension of the long-form interviews I've been conducting, and a way of capturing the personal voice. I hope you find the conversations generative and enjoyable as I know I will. For the second episode, I'm back at Yavu's gallery to speak with Singapore artist Ruben Pang. While Ruben is best known for his vibrant and ethereal paintings on metal, he's also accomplished in the medium of ceramics. The same energetic sensibility and strong fidelity to the artist's hand is found throughout his body of work. I've had the privilege of knowing Ruben for several years now and benefited from our interactions, whether it's conversations about painting, juggling one's artistic practice or life in general. We last met in person nearly two years ago, so there's lots to catch up on. Welcome to the club, Ruben. Happy to be in the club. <laughs> let's club this shit. <laughs> so we are we are here speaking on the occasion of your new solo exhibition. And I think let's start from there, because I think you've always come up with very fantastic and at times very evocative titles for your exhibitions. So for instance, there's True Solarization, your show with, Prima, with Primo Morella Gallery, which happened earlier this year. And then there's also Prehaven. And then I think my personal favorite is um, Swallow Shadow from 2017. How, so how do you decide on the exhibition titles? And can you talk about the current show that you have now, titled
1: Amphibian? Right. Um, I'll go backwards. This show was titled Heal. I wanted a show that uh, I had that in mind. I thought heal was a nice four-letter word that uh, you could put in impact size 72 font and it will look good on the poster. I thought it had a nice... Uh, it's a nice... It just was visually right. And I had in mind that it would be monochromatic. And then I couldn't sit with it. Uh, so that was... Uh, like I wanted to call this show Heal. H-E-A-L. And uh, when I was doing a video and I typed it out, or when I saw the images of the artworks and I had that under the folder that was titled Heal, it just looked dumber and dumber you know and uh i was like i don't know how this was a good idea but karen liked it my very good friend liked it mm-hmm. and then i was like well i really have to justify this shit now right mm-hmm. I said the next name better be damn good i kind of i kind of still think you know a part of me is like maybe we should start with the original name <laughs> you know um, amphibian being like a letter A at the start, it's just, it's the long form. It's nice. Um, the way I choose title is arbitrary. I would say it's, uh, if I can remember what I did because of the title, like if the image of the artwork or the mm-hmm. exhibition comes to mind, that's the reason why that's the title. So sometimes I have placeholder working titles, mm-hmm. right? Like I had a painting where it's a Madonna and child ish format. And I called it my fat baby as a working title. And it stayed my fat baby mm-hmm. post exhibition, uh, no regrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes when I'm, I mean, I have like a, a, a list of, uh, just like in, in my phone, there's a list of titles that I haven't used like mm. things that work that I think, Oh, that was, that's a freaking good title stuff that my friends say, or stuff that I see on a YouTube video, from something completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Top Gear episode where the experience of driving a certain car is like blasting into the heart of the sun. That's what uh, Jeremy Clarkson said. So I said, oh, at the heart of the sun, that's a very nice phrase. And then eventually I'll find something that reverberates or like vibrates and then you know resonates with that in in, in, an, in a nice way. And uh, I'll put it on, um, on the painting. Then I'll just wait two weeks, and then I see if I'm sick of it after two weeks. Mm-hmm. If I am, then I'll have to change the title. If it's not, then then the title stays. That's general how it is. There's a certain like uh, I I realize there's a certain, um, it's not formula, but one of the things that I tend to do with the titles is that take for instance swallow shadow. Mm-hmm. You can't swallow a shadow, right? So you 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 in the title you kind of help someone experience or imagine something that's not doable and you waste that zero point five seconds of that time and I get a kick out of that. Yeah.
0: I mean for Swallow Shadow it's even kind of difficult to say at times if you say it too quickly you kind of get the words
1: mixed up or you kind of You gotta say it while doing like a inappropriate right wing salute, I think.
0: So the works in this show are all made in a new studio in Sardinia, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. And um, I think something that is a new series or a new body of work that you're presenting are these unglazed um, ceramic pieces. You have been working on ceramic for a while. A while already. And I think this is the first time you've presented ones where it's in its raw form. Yeah. They've been fired, but then um, they do not have the kind of colourful hypersaturated saturated glazers or even metallic glazers that you have used right. in the past and I think is this the first time you're also displaying them as kind of a wall-bound or yes.
1: wall-based um, relief yeah. works so could you talk a little bit about them so i have you asked that question I feel so vindicated <laughs> validated no I mean um, the first time that I think I considered this idea of not glazing it mm-hmm. and thank you for the question again because it's it, I know it's kind of apparent, but like I'm happy to talk about that. Unglazed ceramic, very simply, um, is more high def because when you glaze something, you um, the glaze actually hardens and it kind of like it, it, it increases in dimension a little bit. You know, the whole sculpture gets a bit uh, uh, rounded out, mm-hmm. especially if the glaze not necessarily oxides or stains, especially if the glaze has some sort of glass content. Um, <clears throat> it's a bit of the opposite effect of what happens when you glaze or finish paintings with a varnish. You get that definition. You get more definition. Um, you accentuate the colors in, in ceramics. Yeah, you get the punchy colors and sometimes they flow in a way that, you know, brings things out. But the dryness, you lose some things like fingerprints. Mm-hmm. You have fingerprints in the unglazed ceramics, crumbs, the fragile nature of it. You know, uh, hard edges. These things will be as is. It's like uh, short of the chips and dents of not handling the work very well. It's it's a really good registration of the event, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the object but it's not just an object it's the event of making an object and i tend to work fast on this ceramics it's really like developing a photo like an instant photo that's that's uh uh, that's how i feel with this uh paintings i would work on it generally speaking i work on it at least across a few sessions and you get familiar with it i like that in the ceramics it could be like a really quick and uh natural, mm-hmm. uh, registration of the moment, something that you can't edit because once it stops becoming plastic, you know, when it's, when it starts Not to dry. Anymore. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so the color still changes. The, there is a significant change in color. The, the terracotta colored ones were gray mm-hmm. when, before they're fired. So it's, it's a very, it's, it's quite a shock, right? And, um, th- there is still the option to glaze, you yeah. know, you can still pull this off the wall and if you're so inclined to, you can slap some glaze on and pop it back in the kiln and, uh, you know, it will shrink a little bit more, but that's still possible. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking there was one work that I did and I like playing with the glazes. I like, you know, combinations. I like surprises. And I got the surprise. I got really cool colours. Mm-hmm. But it kind of camouflaged the form Yeah, when I applied it to. And I thought like, well that's a bad idea. You know, I showed the work anyway. because uh, like there's nothing to miss, right? If you've never seen what the form was before, you're like, Oh, that's cool. And I thought you know, I thought it still had some sort of tension, that's what I look for. Mm-hmm. More than more than proving that I am competent, I think proving that I, or or like showing that there is some sort of dynamic energy, uh, or that's more important than showing that I'm pretty decent at my craft. And I, I know that's a luxury. Yeah. I, I do know it's one of the luxuries that you get, uh, you know, uh, when you kind of like position yourself, Mm -hmm. it's contemporary art. Yeah.
0: But I, I'm glad that you brought up color because it's not like, even though these works are unglazed, it's not like you don't get different tones or even different base colors. It looks like you've worked with different types of clay to produce this series of works. Some of them look more like terracotta, whereas they have ones that was more whitish. Yep. And then there's even one work which had like a combination of different types of clay, one uh, kind of darker ash gray and a, a, yeah. a brighter, more like bone white, and yeah. it's kind of mixed together almost like a cookie and cream yeah. type of mixture. And right. um, you build the forms out of these sure. clay. And um, I also want to ask you a little bit about presenting them on the wall, because previously the ceramics you have done tend to be um, more like, um, almost like portraits that are kind of like bust-like and they are freestanding on the plinth. Whereas for this time, um, showing them on the wall, you do get that kind of three-dimensional quality, of course, with the building, there's some kind of almost arch-like forms on some of them, and then you have um, little details that are building up from the base. But they also kind of remind me of um, Lucio Fontana's kind of crucifixes that he has done. Of course, I think with his, he does glaze them, yeah. And they look kind of oxidized. They look like oxidized metal, whereas yours, it's in a kind of raw form of um, the material presenting its own color as what you see on the surface, mm-hmm. right? Um, and on the back of these works, you also have, it. they are kind of mounted on a, a panel yeah. that, that's also kind of treated with color. Um, could you talk a little bit about the kind of relationship between the ceramic form and perhaps the background or the panel
1: that accompanies each piece? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll talk about the works were made on the floor. I made the works with very little, uh, ceramic, uh, tools. Mm-hmm. So I, I think one of the things that was always kind of on my mind um, was like I'm a I am ai would definitely be considered a dilettante or an amateur uh, with regards to any new medium, and that's if we hold ourselves to a certain standard uh, especially if you watch youtube videos there are a lot of youtube videos that that you have today you have very little excuse to not know what you're doing you know if you are an art school student if you are starting a, a new business the amount of information that's available for uh, to you for free means that you have very little excuse to not know what you're doing mm-hmm. And my, my thoughts about that was like, um, it's kind of sad, you know, it's like alongside, uh, making paintings in the last few years, I was doing a lot of, uh, music recording. Mm -hmm. And at the start of it, I really wanted to find out if it was possible, how far can we get industry standard, see this is the keyword industry standard, definition, quality and presentability, technical requirements with budget equipment. And uh, moving f- at, at the start, I found that just some things impede your creativity because why would you redo an entire thing? if it was played and captured in the most beautiful way, right? If it's, or you played beautifully, you played with expression and you captured it in a shit way, right? You put the microphone wrong or something, Mm -hmm. or someone burped in the middle of the recording. And you're like, well, that's a great take. Why would I throw that away for a formality or a stain? And I thought like, I tend to be like that in my art practice in the past, in some paintings, if like a bug landed on the painting, I would redo the whole freaking background, you know, and sometimes it would be worse, but I would feel like this, uh, sense of peace because I, I, at least I did the thing I'm, you know, I'm supposed to, yeah, but who, 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 who put the supposed to there, right? And I slowly grew out of that. I had, uh, strokes that the brush hairs would be stuck on the painting and people would ask you know why why is this brush stroke there you know and uh i remember thinking well because i didn't trust myself to be able to remove that and redo that stroke you know it's like the reasons there are imperfections in the work is because that's the most that I could do mm. it's because you know I'm not a master right I'm always reaching too far and with play it's no longer the case I don't need to have that kind of uh, conversation with myself it's like this inner conflict right mm. one is the expectation and the technical expectation you set for yourself and then the other is the this kind of like punk rock kind of like let's let's just get this shit done you know Mm -hmm. so with clay i promised myself like no we're not even going to use you know the the tools associated with the trade and if it blows up it blows up Mm -hmm. you know in the kiln if i messed it up then we just don't show it and that allowed me to i wanted something as close to thought as, uh, sketching, yeah. no one gives a shit about a sketch, right? You give it to your mom, you you know, whatever, it's like, wipe your ass with it, just like throw it away. It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, stick it on the wall, you know, it's like, it's not the, it's not the most important thing in the world, but I've, that's the, that's the, that's the attitude I want myself to experience. Right. I care about them. Obviously I've spent so much time mm-hmm. freaking polishing the plexiglass, I guess, <laughs> you know, pull my hair off. right? Yeah. Uh, so. I want that less affair kind of I uh, don't know how to pronounce that word. I mediate it. Um... Just yeah, you know it's like you don't get in your own way mm-hmm. experience. Don't worry about it, experience. does it kind of look right? And yeah, if it falls off, we'll just glue it back, you know like let's just get to the idea like never has it ever been said in the whole of music history this song would be a little bit better if, if it didn't have that extra drum kick. You know, no one's ever said that. It's like, if it's a fucking good song, it's a fucking good song. Mm-hmm. You know, my, Michael Jackson's Beat It, you know, has like ridiculously loud hi-hats. No one complains <laughs> about that, you know? It's the the insiders, mm-hmm. right? The guys who are a tinker about all these kind of things that be like, oh, there's a small glitch here and there. But the, the rest of the population and even the people who criticize things, they still enjoy mm-hmm. the thing. And... I was trying to convince myself. Obviously, it takes a lot of auto convincing. Um, but yeah, uh, the bases are would I? I didn't. Okay, so they are uh, kind of customized. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you had all the bases too uniform, you start seeing bases and you don't see the sculptures. If mm. you Install them on uh, together, right? Whatever is the most cohesive in a series-like installation becomes the thing that you see more than the actual object. Yeah. So that was a way to kind of—it uh, was the obvious thing to do mm-hmm. as well. Uh, uh, so uh, I didn't really need to think about it so much. I just knew that if I started having like uniform bases, yeah. You know, it. You think it's the opposite. You think like you see the differences in the sculpture more, but it's not necessarily the case. It becomes like a kick drum in dance music. You don't remember the song. All you know is, tss, 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 you know, it's for like f- the whole entire evening. That's all you remember, and that's what's going to happen with the basses. If you had like a, a, a sort of uniform touch, mm-hmm. then I'll be looking at all the imperfections in them. So mm-hmm. I thought like, no, let's just ham out the basses in a way that's like appropriate to the motif. Mm-hmm and uh, we can match the amount of gloss or madness by how much, uh, what's it called, wood sealant we use or how much, how oily the paint is. And they are modular, Mm -hmm. meaning if you damage the base, you know, you can pull it off the sculpture and you can make your own new base. I didn't want it to be the case that the sculpture is permanently fixed to the base. Mm -hmm. Then then the base becomes part of the artwork. That's a whole can of worms for conservation problems. Mm. Uh, And you would note that if you buy Lucio Fontana, um, the bases are shipped separately from the work. And uh, unless it's a really, you know, uh, what do you call that? irreversible mount. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, especially those things that are kind of like this, like tablet-ish, right? Basso, basso that's the term, right? Um, those would be presented with these small hooks and installed that way for the show. But if you ever were to move it around, you know, those things are not important. Yeah. Um, this seemed like a good way to have a cohesive body of work. Mm rather than having the bases vary in size, uh, it, it, it would fo- uh, take away from the experience of like a series. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're all the same size, mm. but I'm open to the idea that, yeah, you can actually have it an even more, you know, tailored base for the artwork. Um, yeah, that's potentially possible as well.
0: I mean, speaking about the motif, um, think uh, people would be able to recognize similar forms that appear in your painting right. that also kind of gets um, that manifests in a slightly different way sure. in these ceramic forms whether they re- look um, more humanoid or sure. resemble um, clusters of people or whether they um have these um, sort of structures that you have in the paintings as well right. whether they are like columns or um, kind of architectural spaces right. that appear in these um, ceramic works. So I think um, let's then talk about the paintings in this show because uh, they do feel uh, like um, like the character behind these paintings have evolved into something else as compared to works that you have made perhaps in the last... Four to five years. I mean, um, in terms of the composition of the works, but also the palette that they have used. I think, right. um, they are less. They don't have that sort of ultra saturated, punchy colors.
1: Yeah.
0: Or even the kind of spectrum of colors that you might see in a work they have done in the past, where you have every color under the rainbow in
1: right. one painting. Where yeah, it's not enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too much it's already on the nose and yet it's not enough yeah yeah uh okay let's talk about yeah
0: maybe with this show let's start with the the larger works because i think that's a bit more apparent where the palette is more reduced but there's also it looks like um it came together more quickly somehow like in terms of just the kind of sense of time that you get with the work whereas in the past you could have this really densely layered, it looks like there are three or four paintings underneath what you see at the end, whereas for this there is a lightness and also a kind of air to the painting that feels very different
1: That's also because they um, were you'd think that the paintings would be done after the sculptures like logically but they were done before the sculptures Mm -hmm. so I thought I could sell this as a sort of like artist statement kind of idea that the sculptures were done on a horizontal surface, they were pulled to the ground, and you're trying to get in the levitate, right? And and then the the natural you know characteristic of the medium of clay is that it sags to the ground. And don't fight that, right? Just just let it do what it needs to do paint is volatile. And it wants to not stay in the same place. It changes color. Mm -hmm. If you're not careful, it uh, cracks it, you know, it's just oil paint, especially is something that doesn't really behave. You really have to quite know what you're doing, especially when you're doing things like glazing and all these kinds of involved and sophisticated, you're varying the touch and your pressure and line work and stuff like that it becomes both a technical challenge uh, a compositional challenge a performative challenge because you got to get them right at the same time you know it's 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 uh it's very involved and i equate that to levity right paintings just seem to be uh You have to really work to get them to become rigid. I noticed that in some of the works that I've done, uh, I have to be very careful the more layers I add on them. I have to be careful to not make the painting worse. Because for like 70% of the time, it's always going to be better, and you're very sure that it is getting better. And then there's a day where you look in your phone and you scroll back to old pictures and you're like, I'm making it worse. For the last two weeks, I've been making this much worse. And it's it's something you learn with experience. Mm-hmm. You learn to trust your eye rather than your the fact that more more work doesn't equal more better. You know, um, that's something that I'm still learning. In in this body of work, the idea of like that's the nice counterpoint right that the paintings seem to be floating and they have no shadow etc etc and the sculptures acknowledge like being pulled down to the ground but they're not pulled to the ground anymore because they're on the wall so they're being pulled away from you right mm-hmm. and the, the extrusion towards you is it's just a relief they, they they want you to go in to them and the paintings kind of like want to step out into our world that's that's a nice kind of like uh I was only aware that this was happening as I was building the series up. Mm-hmm. I didn't start with such an you know clear cut idea, but it felt like it felt really good to capitalize on that. And it's kind of changed the way I see painting now. I, I, I feel like it's almost like inherently paint wants to behave that way. Like bring out the inherent nature of the especially the paints that I'm using. I paint long and I use mediums that are quite volatile I use solvents that dry fast and you know it's just this kind of freeze the thing in time Mm -hmm. uh effect and it's always bouncing off the surface right because I don't use a porous surface so it's like oh things are uh, things stay volatile they stay on the upbeat they don't they don't settle in and I worked to settle things in and now I'm trying to embrace that if it's symmetrical but slightly off, yeah. fuck it, just go with it, right? Just get to your motif, get the ball over the court, have a conversation with the medium. Um, and that's that's the kind of headspace that I'm in for this show. The, the progression in terms of colors is a fairly, you know, I think it's a fairly natural progression in every artist, that their tastes change. They will go through different phases where different palettes are more important for me, um, the vibration between colors is very important. Mm. Um, like when I look at, uh, let me see if I remember the correct term. When you change between colors, is that called value or is that called hue? I think that's called hue, Mm. same value, different hue. Yeah. Right. It freaking vibrates like when you do the color blindness test. Greens next to red, and you're just like, oh my freaking eyes, right? I get a kick out of that. Yellow's next to purple's next to weird, pink next to brown. Yeah. You know? It's like I can I can I can freaking hear it, right? And I get a hell of a kick out of that. And then you glaze it over with some weird interference medium and then you glaze that over with some darkness in the corner, it's just Blah, blah 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 it's like you're having a war. And it's you know, and that that I love the tension that you can do with that. Um it in here, um if we were to talk about the large painting feudalists it felt like a pity to assume that we're gonna to have to keep building things upon it. Mm-hmm. I think you're not doing yourself justice. Um uh, if you like i'm an improvised ish painter right somewhat improvised so if if you've got something very cool in front of you and that's about and and you you know you like i like the energy i like the tension i like the the story I, I i think it's a balanced composition but it's not complex enough for your taste then it's kind of wasted in this case i was able to find instances where you know, I've got all those things, the tension, some sort of balance, dynamism, loudness, mm-hmm. loudness is a big deal for me. I like some things to be at the right amount of loudness. And, uh, I was able to resolve it and it had enough complexity for my taste at this point of time. Um, if it don't, if, if a painting doesn't have those things, And I couldn't just like go and take the panel again and say, well, I remember how I did the last one. Let's just work in those steps. Mm. Uh, Not yet, but maybe in the future that would be possible for me. In this series, I wasn't able to bring that on myself, right? I'm an emotional guy. What can I say? Fuck. (laughs) I think
0: this is exceptionally um, apparent in the larger works because in in the... In your previous works you have this certain archetypes or certain um yeah, motifs or archetypes that you go to and for the larger panels you do have this very complex and you know, highly detailed um works which have which comprises of many tiny little figures or right. little um, forms that look like they're kinda of falling. Yeah. And, and whereas in stark contrast, the the ones that you have now it almost seems like you have om- developed a new motif yeah. that is connected to the ceramics. That is almost kind of skeletal. It looks like a ribcage kind right. of um, form that right. that hugs the that hugs the painting. But also you get this sense of like breath. Like it looks like it's breathing. And then you have little balls of light kind of coming out of the painting. Right that um, it has been something that you have been using, but I think in this show you have, I think I remember you speaking about the ball of light like there you insert in the paintings. And in the past you said, okay, maybe one plus three. right? And then now it's like
1: it's, multiples. It's not even like, yeah, I mean, like I like to think of a painting now as stuff happening and being recorded. Mm. So, it's a performative aspect to it, not the act of painting, but it's like you perform a painting for yourself and you record that performance. It's a, it's a registration of itself, right? I mean, it's a registration of like, I won't say it's like a point of time, uh, where I think, uh, it's not, it's not a registration of like what I was thinking. It's, it's just itself, right. Um, it's freed from illustration. Mm -hmm. I don't see a problem in that illustration can seem a little bit too on the nose in our age for my taste, but when, when, when it's a few centuries past, it's, it's no longer familiar. Um, even, uh, the, what do you call that? Communist drawings now don't feel like they're so associated with that movement i can see them as just a certain style Mm -hmm. i was thinking of this phrase that style is a consequence of the way you live your life as opposed to working to uh develop your own style you live a certain way you have your own style and i thought like that's what's going to happen with the paintings i see paintings in a in my own unique way i look at them as uh things that you need to, you need to interfere with the first thing, which is nothing, right? So you need to create a scenario and you will create a scenario that's unique to you and you react to the scenario that in your way, which is also unique to you. But um, there are some things that are predictably interesting to amateur painters and young artists and you know, or or whenever a new medium is released like Vanta Black or something, there are certain things that are the low-hanging fruit that artists will grab. And it's like if you're a young guitarist or you're starting out playing guitar or drums, there are go-to things that you will do. And that doesn't mean they're wrong. You can still do it in your awesome way. But I'm trying to look for something that surprises me or resonates. Resonates because it's ridiculously simple and I never thought of approaching it in a very simple way. Mm -hmm. Or resonates because it really is, you know, uh, not done before, or at least I've never tried it before. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's one of the things that I think happened with, uh, with the paintings, the, the figures has been, I haven't answered that question for myself. That's why I keep using it. If, if it becomes very clear to me what I'm doing, I'm pretty sure that's when I stop doing it, mm. you know, because you're not supposed to know. It's, it's the perfect excuse for not finishing your artist statement.
0: <laughs> in one of the paintings in the show, you've used um, colored powder glass.
1: I think it's the big yeah.
0: pink one. Yeah yeah does it behave very differently from like regular pigments
1: yes it's pig, a, a pigment that you use for regular painting you will find that it goes on forever and it's it it, it becomes part of the binder the binder is mm-hmm. the oil the solvent whatever the liquid, the, the vessel, yeah. it just stretches out to the yeah. ends immediately. You don't even have to stir it. It kind of just wants to be carried away in the river of medium, right? The rest is like, kind of like if you mix talcum powder into water, mm-hmm. it kind of just doesn't want to become a part of it. But Milo powder is specifically made to be, you know, diluted. Mm-hmm. And that's like pigment. Pigment's like Milo powder. You just stir it in hot water and you get Milo. And then like every other thing, it's kind of like, it doesn't really want to cooperate. Yeah. And, uh but that's what paint is, right? Paint is just powders and glue. So it's technically paint, you know? So yeah, I mean, it's no big deal. Um, I like that it's, it kind of accents the work because it, it stays dry looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: think, um, Something else I've also noticed is that the quality of light in the new paintings are very different. I'm not sure I have the words to describe it, but for the older works, it is quite clear that it's kind of, it's lit by a digital light. Right. Whereas the new ones, it's not exactly naturalistic, but it's also, it leans perhaps a little bit more towards a naturalistic type of light. Um, and in one of the works in particular that is quite different, you have a horizon line, like yeah. a very clear delineation of like, uh, a ground and then um, a dark kind of sky, if you will, and then a cluster of, of figures in the center. They almost look like dancers, a ring of dancers or right. something. like that. That's quite different from the rest of the works. Yes. And, but at the same time, it also recalls perhaps someone like Francis Bacon, for example, who do use the horizon line as a very clear mm. um, structure in his paintings sure. to, to ground the, the figure or the central motif that he includes.
1: Sure. It's, it's interesting, first person that comes to mind, for me too, when you say like, I'm using the architecture as a crosshair to aim my improvisation on, it's also Francis Bacon.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I, I have a theory about the the reason why that is especially clear for him is because he makes large paintings in a small space. So if your motif is very large, there's not enough space for you to step back words into, mm. you know? And he didn't have an iPhone with a wide lens yeah. at that point of time. So I thought like, well, a way for him to kind of have a good gauge of what's going on in his work, short of drawing it out, measuring the composition and then like copying that mm-hmm. because he wants to be intuitive. I think he draws the room in there so that, you know, you're, you're fairly sure that the composition is quite stable and you, you're fairly sure of like, you know, how the figures are leaning or not leaning. And of course, if you were to look at his works and, and do this small exercise where you cover the gold frames, yeah, you'd see like, it's kind of like a little bit off here and there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So all these straight lines, all these gold going on, all this glass, you know, this reinforcement of, um, geometrical stability kind of counterpoints how his figures are not so stable, yeah. right? Um so i think i don't go to that extent but having some sort of horizon line plus a gradation yeah it's like having a a a drawing in the background that helps you aim it's like having a grid Mm -hmm. but i can't work with a grid because you know um i'm not reacting to just the proportion i'm reacting the whole painting so i paint uh, the structures that you see in the work they aren't illusions where if you were to recall maybe the techniques of uh i don't have a good example but generally speaking sky if you had sky and then a tree on it and a person in front of the tree what people would do is that it's not sky everywhere and then you paint a tree on the sky and then you paint the, uh, the man on the tree. You know, you don't paint progressively uh, into the foreground, mm-hmm. right? But I do that. So there, there is stuff behind, you know? So I really, that's, what, that's why I need these guides and this scaffolding to build the, it, the stuff actually is behind. It's not a drawing where, you know, I've aimed and I've cut out the shapes mm-hmm. and, and played around with that. I actually have things going on in the background, that's why uh, I do use some sort of structure. You would find that um, it kind of helps, but I did that, and then the next work I did by eye, um, I'm trying to remember which was the next one, it was probably a painting here, there's a star in her eyes and she Mm, knows it. The pink one. Yeah, and that's the one with the glass. And it started off very much close to have a safe trip deer, which is a little bit more figurative. The, the layers are much more built up. It's very intentional looking. It looked very familiar to me, but not in a good way. Mm. And you can get bored of your own things, right? I wasn't getting bored of the painting. I was getting bored of the fact that I was resolving things in a similar way. Mm. And, uh, i try to change one small thing with each painting just do one thing i've not done before and sometimes the effect is very drastic sometimes it's quite subtle yeah in the case of uh have a safe trip deer and uh there's star in our eyes and she knows it they both started off very similar and uh this one turned out like have a safe trip deer turned out close to my roots right which is like uh Indirect painting, glazing, sharpening it up, high definition, uh, very polished. And uh, there's a star in her eyes and, sh- and she knows it. It's like, like, you won't get that look if you try it. had The look is specific to a painting that was going in one direction and abandoned. Mm-hmm. So if I were to take a bunch of pigments and say, well, I'm going to make a painting like that. You're definitely not going to get the kind of depth and substance because that's the look of a painting that was sacrificed halfway. Yeah. And you can't even fake it. You can't even go, Can let's just paint something halfway just... knowing that you're going to stop. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah. It's going to look different. It's going to look like it lacks conviction, right? You better. To... I, I almost said something very inappropriate, so I'm not going to say that. <laughs>
0: But I have to describe how that work looks, cause it's a audio podcast after all. It, I think for that piece, much like the, the one with more kind of skeletal motifs, I think that work also has a motif that seems quite new. and to me. It looks almost like a a flower, like it's a stalk of a, a flower that's on the towards the top of the painting, and then you have like kind of a, a stem and something that comes
1: down. Um, this is the purple purple colored one. Mm. Uh chrysalis. Right? And the flower is more 3D, right? Yeah. It's because of the pigment. The pigment behaves this beautiful thing about pigments, let's go back to pigments a bit. And let's use the same damn Milo. <laughs> one. Uh, the color of Milo, wet and dry, is different, right? Mm-hmm. and 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 that's the same with pigments you know the the powder is a certain way once it gets absorbed into the painting medium the vessel of oil is different blues uh we remember the klein sculptures klein blue if it's if the sculpture is coated with a glue and sp- and then the pigment sprayed on after there's this crazy vibrational matte glow mm. but it's definitely not you're not going to get that color if it was gloss it gets darker it gets more defined yeah but it's not it doesn't scream same thing with pigments and uh, that's how you get the degrees of um you're extending the dynamic range of one medium right you're saying like it's like it's like the rudiments of painting i can have different kinds of brush strokes you know just by varying the pressure and the touch and how i push the brush onto the surface and it's the same thing when you break down the material you want to be sensitive about what happens if i mix it completely like i'm a machine you know put it in a blender Mm -hmm. then i get a very consistent paint if I barely mix it and just hack it on the surface and I get something else, um, of course you're going to give conservators a bit of a headache. I do write some notes on the back of it. Like what varnish I use, mm. you know, um, I should write the, the, the industry serial number of the, 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 pigment. Yeah. now that I'm talking about it with you, that would be wise to do. Um. But what I'm concerned about, oh, no, it's not the concern, it's like what has been super interesting to me is how much range you get from from one thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tend not to talk about the motifs. I know I like the compositions because it's just something like, uh, it, it's it's like your fingerprint. You know, you do things a certain way. Yeah. There's nothing more to say than that. Some things are are lame to me now that I used to do. Some things I'm surprised are still interesting. Like, I still like symmetry for some stupid reason, like almost symmetry. Maybe it's because you can never really get it. That's why. So it's like, oh, it's very interesting. It's Mm -hmm. a nice tool to um, give a kind of structure to the dynamism. Um, Yeah. uh, The motifs are fairly... Like, I'll grab whatever motif seems to speak to me. Mm. Yeah. I I know I... uh, I'm not a person that can you know tell myself like oh let's just uh let's just change the subject matter like that I need I needed to reach out mm. to me as the painting progresses yeah
0: maybe to speak um about something besides painting um three years ago when A&M launched you were like my first interviewee, and you spoke very candidly about you know um, coming out of art school starting one's career as an emerging artist right. and I think this is a subject matter that I could i continue to be very conscious about because I feel that these um, speaking about them openly does help people ground their expectations um, to a degree that's also um, it's also in the spirit of having being transparent about information, Um, however, they don't seem to be discussed quite so openly even within an art school context, and it's only like shared in a very, um, shared in more personal kind of settings. Sure. Yeah. And um, so in that regard, do you feel that um, there are things that you wished you knew
1: the art world yeah about the gallery practice
0: or even just how to go about doing certain things or um, having the right expectations for certain um
1: yeah for how your career is supposed to be having expectations about that if you have a personal goal for yourself it's never too high or too low an expectation but every scene has its market rate right every scene has its what's a emerging artist supposed to have done before being accepted by a gallery and what it's going to sell at and that's changed you know so if we were to talk about when i graduated from school and did my first show, a small painting about the size of your laptop screen. Uh, Or rather, like twice the size of your laptop screen, sorry. 50 cm by 60 cm. The market rate for that back then, uh, an actual oil painting would be about $800. People will ask for a discount, $700. Nowadays, I think you... It's not to account for inflation. I think people are, are buying art and people are quite sensitive to the fact that, well, that's your life and your effort. And, and there there tends to be, I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there tends to be prospect, always some, sort of, some sense of prospect for an emerging, even if you're emerging at 40 years old or 50 years old. If it's your first show, there's this beauty and prospect to it. It's like the hardest show to get, but also the easiest. Nowadays, I would say the market rate for that, it's about like two, three K for small works, five K for large works. Um, it's an improvement from, uh, from 10 years ago. It, even if you account for inflation, that's still an improvement that generally speaking, the, the notion of being an artist is less absurd than mm. 10 years ago. It is still ridiculously hard. There's no doubt whatsoever. Like I, I've got like 10 years of experience. And if I were to graduate this year with that experience in my head, I would still be shitting myself, you know what I mean? Mm. But I would have a game plan and we can talk about that game plan. Yeah. Uh, it's the same conversation we had years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I think like the scene here in Singapore or any scene becomes small enough with time. You eventually meet people and, and you eventually get to know them, you get to know their character. Try not to be in a rush. That's one advice that I, I, I would give myself, which is like um when you come out of art school the expectations of you is that you produce three or four very substantial works and the rest of it is a support study that substantiates the time that you spent in school.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you're coming out to show, you know, in an exhibition, it's, you don't have three or four substantial works and everything else is a filler. That, that's not the case, right? So, that's, that's a crazy amount of uh, that jump in effort and skill and technical capability and conviction. It's substantially more than art mm-hmm. school. And art school is already substantially more from than, than O levels or whatever, right? <laughs> Where you, know, you look back at yeah. those years, like, what? I took six months to do that, yeah. three panels, you know? And then you go to art school and your, your workload is already crazy. Or it's not. You realize that you're actually damn good at this thing. And it's a breeze and you have time to go out with your multiple girlfriends and play pool and you know you know uh have a part-time job get wasted you know potentially get arrested by police and still and still you know wing it through quick in school mm-hmm. right it could be a variety of scenarios then you go into, the 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 thing where there's no longer a deadline yeah you come out of school and your expectations, your body kind of remembers like I gotta do this, I gotta be at the crit, I gotta meet it's like boom, it's all gone. Yeah, and it's all on time on target. Yeah, and you realize like I'm fucking lazy, or like, you know, like I've got no idea, right? I have no friends. You're <laughs> you like, fuck, everyone's like they all just everyone's shitting me. <laughs> they just hang out with me because they had to, right? No. I mean, you realize these things straight out of art school. And Everybody's, you know, experience of that is very different. For some people, um, they've got a plan; they stick with it. But it's very rare for an artist. Mm-hmm. I would say, like now, I can okay. I'll tell you about the formula. I would say, like before you go and meet people, make sure you have stuff that you're proud of, and it takes time and money to make those stuff, and maybe it requires you to have a part time job to fund the stuff that you're making mm-hmm. and it's fucking insane i know it is absolutely insane and then you do the show and yeah the the first thing you go is like but the galleries takes freaking 50 percent you know to open their mouths and you know chin wag a little bit and they sometimes don't remember the fucking titles anyway <laughs> You know, you're like, that's, the, that's the, they don't take it personally. You know, you, when you're an artist, the whole world revolves around you in your head. And then you have to get used to the idea that you're one out of 40, one out of 10, one out of a hundred. You are a pain in the ass on the roster of application grants for whatever, you know, NAC, you will be painting of the year. I'm talking like specifically Singapore mm-hmm. context, right? So that's jarring, and I empathize with you if you feel like the world revolves around you. It kind of does. There's never a show where you don't have your own damn name on it. It's never a group show where you're not like considering that. Mm -hmm. It's the nature of your work. It is self-centered, right? Um, Even if you champion, you know, some sort of activist cause, it's your freaking name Mm -hmm. in the entrance of the door. Um, so anyway, that's something that is jarring and it, it, it takes some getting used to. And, uh, the good news is other people will put you in your place if, if, you know, eventually. And, uh, it helps to be, uh, receptive. The line between being receptive and a pushover is a tricky one. That's a personal, that's a personal experience. Um,
0: I think the other, perhaps a major milestone would be um, getting your own space and your own studio. Right. We, we spoke briefly about this before we started recording.
1: Yeah. Um, in most cases, it's a luxury. In most cases, for the kind of money that you'll make at the start, you have to be really and, and this, this again, this is this, my disclaimer, is this is a generalization, right? But running with the generalization, it's good to share the studio space at the start. Or it's good to only have a studio space where you use for a couple of months and you can return it to someone else. So a couple of months before your exhibition. But then you have the chicken and egg problem, right? You need works lying around before you propose a show. It's very rare that someone says, hey, let's do something together based off one work, mm-hmm. right? Well, that was my experience, right? I, I had uh, the first gallerist that I met who I worked with that it, we, we built, we, we, we agreed on going on to uh, an adventure together, just off one work and mm-hmm. my disposition and his disposition. It's usually not the case, right? People are discerning and they're going to invest a lot of money in you, right? And they want to make sure that you're all in as well. Um, so I would recommend to think of some sort of modular uh, storage procedure. For instance, you need the works to be in good condition. So you need to have some sort of frame or, or pack them in a way where it's accessible for you to show a potential, uh, contact, but they also need to be, you know, like under your bed mm-hmm. when you're starting out. Right. Yeah. So you, you can't just stack finished canvases on top of each other and let them collect dust. You, you need to pack them well. So that's my first advice. Like just like archive your stuff in a very good way before you go out there and rent a studio. Um, and being hardworking in terms of like moving stuff from one place to another is something you will get used to with your Lala, Lala Van, Lala Move, you know? You just have all that, and you have to do a lot of legwork to save money. Um, and that's your start. When you get a studio space, I I think you need to consider what can what can you do without the studio space right for instance if if you were at home and you painted in a very gen, and I'm, okay I'm using painting examples but in your home you can't splash shit around you can't have the paint ending up on the ceiling And that's what you would do in the studio, Mm -hmm. right? Industrial equipment, air compressor. So you you think about those things and you, I would say you would prioritize that to be the stuff you do in the studio. Um, Or documenting performances, you know? Um, So you need to consider that aspect. And then you're really making full use of why I have a studio. I think it, it could go as far as you hold the damn exhibitions in your studio Mm -hmm. before you even have any representation whatsoever. You might find that you, you that's better for you that you become, uh, like the, the community grows around that, but it's good to start with very low overheads and find a way to make something work for you. Um, without this idea that you're bleeding into the red mm-hmm. and uh, and to even get to that point, you need to have saved some money. Yeah. So I, w- I, 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 I would say that, you know, it, it's tiring, but it's, it's rewarding. Yeah.
0: I think on the optimistic note, I'd like to end with a quote from your artist statement and um, feel free to respond or add more if you, if you like. So, um, I start the quote, um, Art is always optimistic in opposing adamant logic and one can behold the universe by going within. Um, I think it's a great note to end on. If you'd like to add anything else, Ruben?
1: Well, I mean, it was obviously a very optimistic day. <laughs>
0: Thanks for the chat, Ruben. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Ian's Research Club an art and market podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to stay updated when new episodes drop. You can find the podcast by searching Ian's Research Club on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Do rate and review us as it helps others discover the show. For images of the artworks and exhibitions discussed, visit the ANM website. Our URL is www.artandmarket.net. Follow A&M on Instagram and Facebook for more specialist content on Southeast Asian art. Till next time, bye!